2: Hello and welcome to Express Yourself, a program by, for, and with creative young people. We're a platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Bridget Gia, and today the
3: theme for our show is the gift of friendship. And I'm Kaisine Kelly. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity. Each week, we bring you a stimulating, mind-bending, motivating program based on a chapter from our award-winning book, Be the Star You Are for Teens, Simple Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, Learning, and Leading. With this week's theme, The Gift of Friendship, we'll be talking about the importance of loving and caring for your friends. We want to begin our show by reading the chapter on friendship from our book, Be the Star You Are for Teens. This story was penned by author Erica Miner, author of Forever Friends. The Gift of Friendship by Erica Miner. When I turned 13, my father gave me a book with blank pages, my first journal. The pristine pages signified a metaphor for my young life, a symbol of the clean slate with which I was starting my new life as a teenager. In his wisdom, my dad gave me a tool for jumpstarting my eventual career as a writer. What he didn't know was that my teenage journals would someday provide the seeds for a novel series about four best friends— helping each other through the trials of adolescence. These three precious friendships I formed decades ago blossomed and matured into the closest ones of my life. We met through a mutual love of music, and we all kept music as an essential part of our lives. Most important, the four of us stayed close through our journeys into womanhood. We still support each other in, the, in ways we could have never imagined back then. Friendship is truly a gift, which you will cherish more and more as you grow older. You and your friends help each other grow up. Your friends are a reflection, a mirror of yourself, yet different, a window into other backgrounds, other personalities. You need them, and they need you. They help you appreciate your family, the people who loved and nurture you, that yet they give you the strength and courage to go off into a whole new world when the time comes, beyond the comfort zone of hope. It's vital to form and develop these friendships when you are young for this teaches you how to interact with other friends, companions, colleagues, and loved ones whom you will meet in the future. I always knew I would be a violinist, though I had no way of knowing I would play in the orchestra of the Metropolitan Opera in New York, but somehow my friends always knew I was destined to become a major player in the musical world. It was hard work, but they encouraged me, spurred me on to fill my potential. Because of their support, I found the confidence to follow my passion, and I encouraged them to pursue theirs. They were always there to support me, even when I left our hometown of Detroit for the land of cultural opportunity, the East Coast. We stayed in touch as best we could through our busy, childbearing years. We met each other's children, and when I came back to Detroit to perform from the Met, my friends were there to show their support. That's what friends do. Support each other. Give each other courage. Have fun together. They are, according to Edna Buchanan, the family we choose for ourselves. What could I have done without my friend when I was 14 or 15 and despaired of my parents ever understanding me or my problems? My three BFFs were both sisters and colleagues, the family I chose for myself. Now I have put away my violin and taken up writing and speaking as my life's work. I still email these friends, speak with them, and see them whenever possible. As the years pass, they become even more precious to me. Choose your friends wisely, then be there for each other. That is a gift that has no price the gift of a lifetime. So that was the chapter um, from our book, and now we're going to have a short discussion on what friendship means to us. So I thought that was a really inspiring um, story just because I think one of the great things about friendship is Especially the part about distance that you don 't always need to be right next to your best friend to know that they 're there for you.
2: Wow, Casey, that was really beautiful. Um, it was definitely very inspiring, and it really taught the importance of having special bonds with your friends and I really I really liked how um, this author was able to just keep that connection with their friend uh, with her friends and keep talking to them throughout her busy years. Uh, that's, that's really wonderful.
3: Yeah. And then going off of that, I also, um, agreed with what she said about how her friends and her have similar interests, but they, um, have each gone off to do their own separate things. And I think that a lot of times we meet friends or mutual activities or interests, and we actually go off and develop our different things, but it doesn't matter because that basis is there, the thing for you to connect off of. And then, You can support each other in different endeavors. And I think especially when we're younger, we try to do things with our friends and keep doing them the same. So if my friend goes off and starts ballet, I feel like I should start ballet too. But as you grow up, you realize that it's so cool that each of your friends are interested in different things and you can support each other in those endeavors.
2: Exactly. So when we really are friends with someone, we always are able to pick up where we left off, even though so many years have passed or maybe we're busy. So it's really nice to have a friend who you can connect with and keep that connection. You know, yeah, as Casey said, with all these different interests, you know, you can't do everything the same as your friends do, but you can support them in their interests and they'll support them in yours.
3: Exactly. And also just seeing... Um, like with my sister, when we were little, we did all of the same activities. And then as we grew up, we each started to veer off into our own special interests just based on what we preferred. But, and even though I don't get to talk to my sister every day, cause she's in college, um, we get a Skype, um, when we're both not busy and it's always nice to just catch up. Um, even though when she was home, we used to talk every single day and now we only get to talk um, like once every um, week or, or so, but it's yeah. nice to be able to catch up and just, um, it's funny how the conversation is able to flow so easily.
2: Yeah. You know, when you're, especially when your sister, you know, do you have like a special bond? Yeah. Because like sisters can be really
3: best friends because you guys are so close, right? Yeah, exactly. I think especially when you get, as you grow older, you start to realize that I know when I was younger, I was thought of everything as a competition with my sister Um, And I would not really see her as a friend I could go to. It was more like, I'm going to a play date because I want to be with my friend. But I never really realized that my best friend could be right by my side. And so especially as I got into high school, um, just being able to relate to my sister, I think, on a lot more things. And just the fact that we had different interests, it became less of a competition and more of a supporting um, thing. So you can definitely develop into something new and,
2: you know, very nice and connected and that's really a beautiful story i love that uh you and your sister found (laughs) you know common ground and were able to start becoming friends more and less of you know competition so yeah exactly beautiful so um what things do you really do to be a friend you know like what are the aspects that you have you
3: should have in order to be a great friend and to care about your friend Well, I think one of the most undervalued things um, people don't really think of when you think of being a good friend is just the power of listening. So I think just being there for someone and just listening and being involved in what they have to say and absorbing everything they have to say, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of times people just need someone to rant to. And being that person who isn't going to be like, I'm too busy um, or just sit there and not absorb anything they're saying, just being able to listen is one of the qualities that I've come to really value in my friends. What about you? What What do you value in your friends?
2: Um, I really definitely agree with you because sometimes, you know, sometimes my friend needs to be there to just listen to me and I need to be there to listen to them with their problems. Um, personally, I really think that when you're a good friend, you want to Definitely just be there for them when they need something, when they need your help, you want to be able to be there and step up and kind of, you know, just help them out, give them aid, espouse them. So... I do have a friend who's starting a key club at her high school and, you know, she needed more members. And so I came in and I stepped in and I knew that she would do the same for me. You know, I helped her find members for her key club. And if I started a club, I know that she'd come in and join my club and try to help me find more members. So it's really kind of, it's very communal, you know, I help her, she helps me and we're really able to just link together in that way.
3: Exactly. And I think especially when you're younger, um, the quantity of your friends can matter a lot more than the quality per se, because you're just like, who will I hang out with on Friday? Like, will it be a new friend I can have a sleepover with? But Mm -hmm. especially um, in high school now, it's those few friends who I really value who have been there for me all along. For example, I have one friend, we got really close last year, um, and she's probably my best friend now. Um, We had seven periods together. So we had every single period together. And just having her by my side Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of opposites. Um, and uh-huh. so I would, she gets really stressed out and I, I should get more stressed out more often <laughs> to worry about some of the bigger, more important things. And so just being there to be like, it's okay. Um, don't be so stressed out. And even though I could never necessarily like take away the stress, I think just having someone there is so important and having someone who is not there to judge you, um, or make you feel like their friendship is a burden, but rather just someone who's just there. Um, and yeah. it's those few friends who really do count and make it everything worth it.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, your connection with this friend who, you know, you guys are so, so opposite each other, but really, you know, a friendship is about mutual respect and admiration and really just trust and kindness and support. So it's just, it's about the support. Yeah. I can see, I can see how you would feel that way. And, you know, your friend should be there for you and you should be there for your friend. And like, despite all the flaws of your friendship, um, I'm sure there's definitely that tightening
3: bond that keeps you guys together. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, also just, you never, you never want to be around that person who is always bragging about their accomplishments and in the same way, Um, it's kind of nice, especially in competitive environments, to just be able to have friends who Mm -hmm. you don't talk about necessarily, oh, did you get an A on that test? I got an A on that test. But instead, to just relax and not have to worry about your friendship being a competition to be who's better, but rather just a celebration of who you both are as individuals is really important.
2: Exactly. So, you know, there there needs to be, I feel like there needs to be an individualistic sense to that. Exactly. And, you know, you want to be friends. You want to be tight. But you don't want to be competing against each other and adding to the friction. So really, true friendship isn't about competition. It's about trying to find things that you guys can relax about and try to be comfortable. So... If, you know, I feel like though that some friendships actually the competition is good, you know, like healthy competition. Um, it's, it's really sometimes what you connect with, with a friend. Like, how did you do that on that test? I worked really hard. I studied. And the other person is like, yeah, I studied too. And then ultimately you guys can study together and it's, it's kind of a bonding experience. But if you're competing with someone who doesn't want to be competing with you and making them uncomfortable, that's not really the qualities of good friendship. So, I feel like, yeah, friendship is definitely about, like, middle ground and lots of connecting, just bonding, finding stuff that you have in common, and supporting the things that you don't have in common. And that's really just what it's all about. Exactly. I totally agree. Alrighty. Well... Thank you so much, Kayceen. That was a truly inspiring story, and we had such an interesting talk about just special bonds and being with your friends and what it means to be a good friend. All right, so during the break, everyone, be sure to check out our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com
3: for photos, descriptions, links, and more. I'm Bridget Gia. And I'm Kayceen Kelly. Also please visit our charity site at btsya.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com/ be the star you are. Stay right here with us as we continue our conversation on the gift of friendship.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Dinosaur Detectives can be heard every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Kids channel.
2: Brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. I'm Brigitte Gia, and today our show is all about the gift of friendship.
3: And I'm Kysine Kelly. Today we bring you a guest author who is truly a star. Erin Bauhat gave up a promising career as a particle physicist to write books. She has five of them. Two books of poetry, two novels for teenagers, and a memoir. Plus a brand new um, science fiction novel, The Scorpion Rules, out September 22nd. Erin lives in Ontario, Canada with her husband, James, who is also a novelist. They have two small daughters, both of whom want to be scientists. And now let's welcome Erin to Express herself. Hello, Erin, and thanks so much for joining us here today. Hi, Kaisi. Hi,
2: Brigitte. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. All right. So, in The Scorpion Rules, a world battered by climate collapse and war... And, uh, turns into an ancient, turns to an ancient method of keeping peace, the exchange of hostages. The children of kings and queens and presidents and generals are taken captive and raised together at isolated boarding schools. They're taught to be rulers, but also prepared to die if their parents declare war. So, this is a really interesting and cool new topic, a new, um, subject that you've written your book on. So, um, could you tell us more about your new book? How does it work? It seems so cool. It's actually a really old idea. I, I was
4: astonished when I learned this. But throughout the Middle Ages of Europe and the dark Ages of Europe, they used to do this, like the King of Sweden and the King of Denmark <laughs> would exchange their princes, and they would go live in each other's court and have a reasonably decent upbringing, um, unless, of course, Sweden and Denmark go to war, in which case it's good for them. <laughs> So it actually has happened all over the world. It happened in Europe, it happened in ancient Ethiopia, it happened in Shogun, Japan. and it generally worked to keep the peace when nothing else seemed to work. Um, so when I was imagining a future in which the world had been through a long period of war and was looking for a way to keep the peace, I thought, um, "Why don't we go back to history instead of inventing something brand new?"
3: Oh, that's wow. so cool! Especially mm-hmm. when you think of the phrase "history repeats itself." Yeah. Uh, based on going off of that, why do you think dystopian novels are so popular?
4: Uh, oh, I love dystopians. Um, <laughs> I think basically. All right, I'll tell you my experience with dystopian novels. Between seventh and eighth grade, I moved from a little town in Iowa to Omaha, Nebraska, which was definitely the big city for me. And I went to a junior high with thousands of people, where before I'd been in schools with dozens of people. And uh, basically... It was a dystopian, (laughs) arbitrary collection of rules, and I didn't know how it fit, and I didn't know where to sit at lunch, and I didn't know how to find my way between the buildings, and you get pushed around in the hallways, and you have no idea what to do.
1: Oh,
4: dear. But I think it's a very common experience, right? Entering high or entering high school or just making this big switch. Um, I think many, many teenagers feel like the world can be cruel and arbitrary and uh, that there are rules that they don't understand that they just need to push against. And I think dystopian is just that kind of writ large. And so it's not surprising for me to see it come up in books for young people again and again and again.
2: So yeah, um, there's definitely an aspect of being thrown out to the world. I can see the similarity. And that's really great. So you definitely have strong friendships between girls in all of your novels. Is that maybe why? Is it maybe because, you know, like a personal experience, you got thrown out into middle school and, you know, like you need friends to kind of survive in that kind of atmosphere. So maybe did it stem off from there? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely true that my adolescence was was
4: way more about my friends than it was about anything romantic. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a line in my book. My, my heroine has a line in The Scorpion Rules. It's like, yeah. my sexuality is still filed under further research is needed. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> that. I, was, I was really kind of still trying to figure it out and tried to figure it out well into my 20s. So I read a lot of YA, but I do get just a little bit tired of YAs that are centered purely on the romantic thing, the boyfriend, girlfriend, or, you know, two boys, two girls, whatever. But this this romantic thing that's just all-consuming and there's no room in it for your family or your friends or your class or it's just this one laser focus. And that's not at all what my life was like. And I don't think it's at all what most people's life is like. And I particularly would like to see more female friendships in YA novels. There's way too much you know, best frenemies where they're actually sniping at each other or these complicated, tangled-up relationships. And I think that just, you know, it's just a way of keeping girls at each other's throats. It's no good for anybody.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I I definitely agree with your viewpoint and where you have all these novels where, yeah, the girls are just fighting over this one boy. And I'm like, no, no, no. Wait. No, no. (laughs) You guys have been best friends since you were, I don't know, three. What's going on? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, I...
4: I've never actually seen that happen in real life.
2: Exactly. It only
4: happens in books as far as I can make out.
3: Yeah, so. I'm
2: always you know, offering my girlfriends ice cream and <laughs> baseball bats after they break up. There's, nothing, there's no stealing of boyfriends going on. I don't oh. know where that came from.
4: I don't know where it comes from either, but it's, it's a real trope in YA literature. Mm-hmm. And I really became aware of it. My second book, uh, Sorrows Not, is basically centered on a friendship between two girls. And it never... Gets romantic. One of them has a romantic relationship, but there's never like a love triangle where they're both <laughs> in love with them, or anything like that. Um, you know, one of them gets involved, and they stay friends. And people said, "I want to see more of this. It's so unusual." And I went, "It can't possibly be unusual." And then I went looking for more books with strong female friendships in it. And once you start looking, you realize there just aren't nearly enough. Not I nearly.
3: I totally agree. One of the reasons Pride and Prejudice is one of my favorite books is because of this um, friendship of the sisters. But when I think to some of my other favorite books like East of Eden or Hope Was Here, um, or just other like famous things like um, books, I can't—they're always about either a fema- the female character is weak and is reliant on a man, or there's some sort of competition between her and another female, and that's something that has definitely bothered me. I actually started a lot of discussions in my English class last year about why are all the books are reading, none of the female characters are strong or independent.
4: Yeah, which is not true, by the way, for the male characters. I mean, you read something like, I'm sure we all read it, it gets ensigned in eighth grade English classes everywhere. You read The Outsiders, and that's full of male friendships. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> So, and all of the stuff that you get assigned is full of these, you know, jolly good male friendships and they don't fall apart over women or anything like that. And I don't know why girls don't get to see the same sorts of thing in YA. So I am, I mean, I have great conspiracy theories, but they basically will require me to talk about the patriarchy at this stage. So (laughs) maybe we
3: won't do that. (laughs) I've had plenty of those conversations. (laughs) Um, So, um, the Scorpion Rules is a global political thriller, but it's set in Sask- Sh- Saskatchewan. I don't know not how to, I do not know how to pronounce that. That's okay. I've been writing about it for 2 years and I don't know how to spell it. <laughs>
4: Saskatchewan's so, the prairie province in Canada, the one in the middle. They oh, basically a farm cool. and it's very flat.
3: So why did you pick uh, this
4: place? <laughs> I think I picked Saskatchewan because I'm from Nebraska. Um, I picked Canada because, you know, where Americans, the central reason for having a government is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh Dystopians tend to be, what if that goes too far? In Canada, the central reason for having a government is peace, order, and good government. And I wanted to see what that (laughs) looked like if it went way too far. So it's the scorpion rules is peace, order, and good government taken way too far. So I wanted Canada.
2: Oh, that's such a Um, neat
4: outlook. I like I, that. Yeah, i uh, I live in Canada now. I w- I'm from the states, but I've lived in Canada for 20 years, and the Canadians are like, "It's Canadian." we I am? I'm kind actually of underrepresented.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like the opposite of that. <laughs> I was born in Canada, but now I live in the states. Yeah, wow. Yeah. The There's board. yeah under underrepresentation of Canada. We need we need more Canadian support. <laughs> well, in my book,
4: Canada is a superpower. So, yes!
2: <laughs> the
4: United States has fallen onto hard times, but Canada is a superpower. Um, sorry about that. It's really not my fault. <laughs> the entire eastern seaboard flooded, and, you know, mm. that's hard. <laughs> um, but Saskatchewan, I think I picked Saskatchewan because I'm from Nebraska. And Omaha, as you might or might not know, is, or at least was when I was growing up, the number one nuclear target in the United States. Oh, um, wow the uh, Air Force Base that commands the nuclear arsenal is there. And so I grew up with watching these planes on the horizon and always knowing what they were up there for, these airborne command centers, and just watching them circle the city. And so when I wrote this book, the first scene is the hostages sitting in the schoolroom and they see a plume of dust on the horizon, and it's the horseman who's coming to kill one of them. So I think think it's in Saskatchewan because I wanted that long look out into the future, that prairie where you can just uh, see forever and ever and ever, and just that sight line to the horizon, horizon and the thing on the edge.
2: Mm-hmm. But, but why does the political thriller have so many goats in it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so my
4: thriller, my the prison where they're they're at is uh, also a goat farm and a garden, and they spend a lot of time looking after the goats and gardening. Um, partly it's for comic relief, also <laughs> a lot, um, but mostly it's. You know, it's a group of people who are preparing to be executed. They need some goats. Um, <laughs> they need some goats in their need, life. They need some goats. Just like my first book is about a girl who sold her shadow. She needs a talking cat, but there's <laughs> a real practical reason behind it too, which is I think the future is going to look more like the past than um, than people think. I think it's going to be much more low tech because that's basically what the word "not sustainable" means. Mm-hmm. Our culture is not sustainable. That means it will not go on like this. Yeah, yeah. We need to change it. Um, so we need to do things like grow food closer to home and raise our own goats. And decide <laughs> whether we want to drive everywhere. Or whether long distance spaceships will do. Uh, <laughs> so it's my my book is a real mix of high tech and low tech, and the goats are the emblem of the low tech.
2: Oh wow! Well, yeah, so it definitely symbolizes the. Down point of humanity, and you know, we're trying to recover from all of this, but we haven't been able to. All right, thank you very much, Erin, for sharing this exciting new book with us. We'll be ex- continuing our conversation in the next segment, and during the break, visit Erin's website to get more information about all of her books at www.errenbow.com. To make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this program, go to
3: www.bethestarur.org.
2: I'm Bridget Gia.
3: And I'm Kaisine Kelly. Also remember to visit our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Tune in to Dinosaur Detectives with Little Miss Dinosaur, Anna Dubois. We'll not only learn about dinosaurs, but also about fossils, ancient civilizations, and ask questions from paleontologists. You'll learn about science in general with an emphasis on paleontology and dinosaurs in general. Anna hopes that this show will start or increase your awareness and interest in the field of science. Dinosaur Detectives can be heard every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Kids channel.
2: giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. I'm your host, Brigitte Gia, and today's topic is the
3: gift of friendship. And I'm Kysine Kelly. We've been chatting with Erin, author of a new YA novel, The Scorpion Rules. In The Scorpion Rules, a world, a world battered by climate collapse and war turns to an ancient method of keeping peace, the exchange of hostages. The children of kings and queens and presidents and generals are taken captive and raised together at isolated boarding schools. They're taught to be rulers, but also prepared to die if their parents declare war. Greta Gustafson Stewart, Duchess of Halifax and Crown Princess of the Pan Polar Confederacy, is one of these sacred hostages. If she can live for another 18 months, Greta will be the ruler of a superpower. But our country has water. Across the border, one of the American states is dying of thirst. A water war is brewing, and Greta is preparing to be the first in its casualty. Um, so now we're here with the author and do you think this world could happen uh
4: distressingly i think this world is is very plausible um that's one of the things that i really worked hard on um was making a really believable well-researched future um starting with melting all the polar ice caps <laughs> oh dear warming. Um, oh dear yes um which is not likely in the next hundred years, but is possible. We, we don't really know if the system has a tipping point and if there's a runaway, if there's uh-huh. a runaway point. If the global ice caps melt, the water comes up by 200 to 250 feet: Oh my. Uh, so right. goodbye Florida.: <laughs> New York, Boston, Atlanta, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, Seattle.
3: Yeah.
2: That's um,
4: crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and it's just – and something that, you know, it's a disas- it's a disaster scenario. It's a doomsday scenario. It's exaggerated for the sake of effect. But it's not outside the realm of possibility.
3: Yeah. Um, and going- Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was we- also interesting what you said about um, the water wars, just because in AP Comparative Government class the other week, we were talking about um, – Debisa Moyo, who is an international economist, and she's predicting that there are going to be wars over resources and specifically water. And so I thought it was particular interest, particularly interesting that um, you are following along with the same thought, because I think that a lot of times um, economists and businesses don't really listen to what environmentalists are saying about increasing dangers. And um, it's books like yours and arguments like um, says who are uh, making the most impact on these kind of people. I'll
4: have to look her up. I'm not familiar with her, but uh, she's not alone. Um, there are a lot of people warning about water, and you know, I know certain parts of the states are already in the grips of really incredible droughts. And if the climate continues to shift, then the weather patterns will continue to shift, and places that we've been able to live will become uninhabitable. And that's, you know generically a bad thing and i'm <laughs> count on on human beings coping well with it which in my book they don't um but i don't want to be just you know incredibly depressing about this when i talk to teenagers i want to somehow strike a balance between please let go of your complacency and i don't think teenagers <laughs> are complacent i think teenagers are generally up in arms and and mm-hmm. ready to, <laughs> we need to fix this but when i talk to people it's like all right Please wake up. Please take a look at this. This is really happening. We need to do it now. But I also don't want to tip over into, oh, no, it's the end. It's despair. There's absolutely nothing we can do. So somewhere between complacency and hope, I, I, I wish people could, could keep mm-hmm. their hope because there's a lot of really fairly small things that individuals can do mm-hmm. to, um, to change To fight this and to change it. And there are big things that governments will need to do. But, you know, it is still
2: possible. We do still have time. Not a lot, but some. So, yeah, here in California already we have, like, a major drought going on. We don't have any water. And Northern and Southern California are already, like, fighting over water rights. Mm -hmm. So we're starting, like, water rationing. And, you know, the government has had to step in. And, you know, people in L.A. sometimes use... I don't know, 26 gallons of water a day. So I feel personally that it's some of the smaller things, maybe like leaving the water running too much, taking a really hot long bath. So what do you really suggest we do to, you know, mitigate this effect that we're having where we have no water? It's hard to fight a lack of
4: water. Um, It's like finding the sunlight in in a garden, you know. (laughs) In the long term, you almost, we will almost need to move populations. Mm. But there are things we can do. Um, The big thing, I think, will be um, changing the way we use it outside the houses, changing, like, yards into xeriscapes and changing agriculture to more efficient things and better crops in more appropriate areas and... Mm -hmm. You know, we've only been doing this thing where we ship raspberries around the world in frozen containers for, like, 60 years. We <laughs> wouldn't have to do that indefinitely into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could actually eat food that we could grow where we live. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> which is a radical thought, I know, but <laughs> I think is, is a big thought. So I think one of the biggest things you can do to conserve water, ironically, is stuff like give up bananas. Yeah, stuff never think about it. It gets complicated, but there them. are there are things you can do in the house, and they're really turning off the tap between uh, brushing your teeth and rinsing your teeth is is not a terrible idea.
2: Yeah, and it could save you know gallons. We could get cut down on those.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So your novel sounds super interesting. Um, do you have any sequel uh, a sequel in the works for it?
4: I do. I have a companion novel that I. I sent to my editor two months ago and I just got the notes back. So it is in the works. Yes, Um, (laughs) I'm really excited about it. This is my first book with a continuing world. Um, My first two novels, were standalone fantasies. Mm -hmm. This one is, uh, I got about three quarters of the way through it. I wrote this scene. It's like, all right, the good news is I have an Mm -hmm. ending for the book, which a minute ago I did not have. The bad news is, <laughs> a whole other book. <laughs> oh. my, uh, my editor was willing to play along with that, or my agent was willing to play along with that. And we mm-hmm. we sold the pair. And I wouldn't rule out more, but for the moment, it's two.
2: Wow. That's Yeah, awesome. I'm excited about it. Yeah, continue this great world. And, you know, it has... This world that you created definitely relates to what's going on now in California, and we're in, like, a state of extreme drought. So it's really awesome how you were able to, like, turn that into this whole, you know, idea, this whole world, and I think that's really great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm really
4: excited about it. I hope that it will be, you know, something that people can read and talk about and think about and not just a disposable piece of adventure, although it is kind of a page-turner, too. But, uh, you know... (laughs) If if you've got a message, you send a telegram. If you want to tell a story, you write a book. So it's it's basically a story, and I, yeah. I the people, and I wanted to tell the story, but um, there's some good stuff behind it. Yeah, too. Yeah, I got it. Those some
3: values. values. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think that what makes um, sp- messages most rememberable re- memorable, <laughs> is when they are in stories. And so I think that by presenting um, this dystopian world. You're arguing for um, change in our present world, and I think that it is in its most powerful form. So can you tell us anything about the next book?
4: Oh, not very much, because I still haven't haven't even gotten clearance to to, uh, reveal titles and stuff. Uh, (laughs) But it's the thing I didn't mention about this book is that the the world is now run by crazy robots.
3: Whoa. they (laughs) They have
4: stepped in to save us from ourselves. Um, because we needed saving from ourselves. So, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a, an AI in charge of the world who says Ooh. things. See, guys, this is why you can't have nice things. So we <laughs> take the hostages and things. So in book two, we spend a little bit more time with, if book one is about the hostages, about the children of peace, and book two has got a little bit more time with the crazy robots who are in charge and with the humans who help them who are like the executioners. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the flip side of it's the flip side of the coin. Um, yeah, okay. I'm excited about it.
2: Yeah, it's going to be great. I think it's going to be wonderful. And then you've got all oh, this whole AI component going on. And I mm-hmm. think that's really great. So you've been writing, of course, for a while. Um, what advice do you have really for teenagers who want to be writers who've just started out? Like, how did they create such a cool world? Like, what should they do? <laughs> um, you know what? I
4: think writing is fabulous. Everyone is going to tell you not to do this. Everyone is going to be like, oh, but sweetie, what are you actually going to do to pay the bills? (laughs) You really should have a career to fall back on just in case this doesn't work out. And it is true that there are bills to pay and and (laughs) one has a plan to pay them. But my number one piece of advice for young writers is to write. You should do it. If you're called to do it, you should do it. You should start now. You should fill up notebooks with, just go. Yeah. Just go. Just fill up notebooks with, even if it's even if it's just what I call compost. Even if it's just <laughs> dirt, right? You need the compost later to grow the garden. Exactly. exactly. The, writing, the writing doesn't get wasted. Um, my other really practical piece of advice for very young writers is to finish your work, because we all go through this stage where you write about half of a story. Or you write the first third of a story and then you get stuck and there's just no bridge to go further. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very natural to give up on it. Almost everybody does. Um, But the thing is you can never learn to finish a story without finishing a few stories. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's how you do it is to do it. Even if you do it badly a few times, uh, you need to keep going with it. So like make a commitment to yourself that you're going to finish say half of the things you start. Um, And, that, I mean, you, some of them are just hopeless and you should let them die. I understand that feeling. I do it all the time. I've got a dead poem on my desk today. Oh. But, um, but finish half of it, really believe in it, see it through. And I think you will, it's a craft. It's, it's a talent and a gift, but it's also a craft. And you learn it by doing it and by reading. So do it and read.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Aaron, for being with us here today. That was wonderful insight that you gave on helping writers become writers and going through your story. And The Scorpion Rules is a riveting read, and we wish you every single success in with the sequel and with the going through with this book. So to check out Erin and her amazing books, visit www.aaronbow.com. You can
3: also check out her Twitter, at Aaron Bow Books. I'm Bridget Gia. And I'm Kaisine Kelly. Thank you so much, Erin, for staying with us today. Also during the break, be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for Be The Star You Are 501c3 Literacy and Positive Media Charity. Stay right here with us as we continue our conversation.
0: dinosaur detectives can be heard every wednesday at 7 p.m eastern time 4 p.m pacific time on the voice america kids channel you're a responsible person and you're trying to do everything you can to save the planet but are you doing enough
2: our program is Express Yourself. Today, the theme for our show is The Gift of Friendship.
3: And I'm Kysine Kelly. So today, Bridget's going to be talking to something, um, a little bit more about friendship. Take it away, Bridget. All right. Awesome. Um, So today, we're going to be talking about
2: The Gift of Friendship and how it connects with art and really correlates with the artistic history that we have today. So, Art collaborations and companionships result in portraits and beautiful works. Sometimes this wonderful companionship between different artistic geniuses even results in many, like, huge movements and just large variety of pieces that impact art history as we see it today. So, first of all, I'd like to talk about Impressionism because it's just a huge movement that was actually started by just a handful of close friends. So some young French artists attending the Académie des Beaux-Arts in the 1860s decided that they really valued different subjects and characteristics than the ones deemed worthy in conventional French and European painting. So they decided that instead of utilizing lines and contours that created a finished work in the eyes of the French critics, they kind of would experiment with brighter colors and lights and darks to define and emphasize their subjects, which were of course radically different from those painted at the Academy. So French artists back in those days would paint famous people, diplomats, princes, kings, and the young artists wanted to paint from life and they wanted to discover more subjects within ordinary existences and the outdoors. And conventional methods really didn't call for any of this. So these friends, since they came and they were knitted together by this idea of painting from nature and not these portraits of fancy, important people... They were able to establish a close bond. And when they were called to defend their revolutionary art movement that changed the way we perceive art, they could give each other support and they could exchange ideas and innovations. And they really gave each other strength when criticized about the movement itself, the newly born impressionism. So their friendship was the one that was the thing that kept them together in all this impressionism turmoil and bringing oppressionism up as an actual movement instead of something to be laughed off by these French critics. Alright, so the second one, the second friendship that cemented together a very beautiful artwork was the friendship between Ralph Steadman and Hunter S. Thompson. So these two artists are actually still alive and they're still happily friends. So the two originally actually got negative impressions of each other But they actually connected over their respective crafts. And Stedman was inspired to illustrate several pictures of Thompson. So Stedman has a very creative art style. It's very unique, kind of comic form. um, And it's very abstract. So he has this one portrait of Hunter driving, actually. And you can tell, yeah, that Hunter is a really bad driver. <laughs> <laughs> He's got, you know, um, they've got the two of them. Stedman has illustrated the two of them sitting next to each other in the car. And you've got Hunter just speeding down, driving as fast as he can. <laughs> and Ralph is hanging on for dear life. His <laughs> eyeballs are falling back. He's like, no, stop the car. Let me out. It's too fast. And so really, R- Stedman was, able to give this one impression of his friend his close friend through his painting so really an artist can kind of imply things about his friends and the audience can look at a painting that the artist created of their friend and get a certain impression or just get a certain inspiration about that person. So, really, your friends can be your inspirations in art. And it's really a beautiful thing when you have a close bond with someone and you can express it. Alright, so let's move on to the third subject, which will be Cubism. So, much like Impressionism, Cubism was kind of formed through a closely knit group of friends, including Picasso and another artist named Georges Braque. And so, they became really friendly and they were able to develop Cubism from their friendship. And really, this huge, impactful, artistical movement was brought about by just two friends getting together over a shared sketchbook. And, all right, lastly, we've got Picasso, who mm, was a starting artist. You know, he was struggling with all of his different artist styles, and he needed a friend. He needed patronage. So he actually found it in a lady called... Gertrude Stein, who was among the first am- Americans to respond with enthusiasm to the artistic revolution in Europe and what was happening there in the early 20th century. So she held weekly salons in her Paris apartment, and she was able to attract a lot of European and American artists and writers, and she really supported Matisse, Braque, Gris, and Picasso. So Picasso did a beautiful portrait of her because he wanted to thank her For her support, and he wanted to really present her as a subject of his adoration because she was the one to support him in his time of need. So, um, Picasso's portrait of the expatriate writer began in 1905 at the end of his Harlequin. Art period and before he took up cubism. So cubism was kind of in the works and he needed some support from someone and Stein was really the one to step in and give it to him through patronage and through her friendship and through her weekly salons in her Paris apartment. So in the painting she's pictured in a large armchair and she's wearing her favorite brown velvet coat and skirt and she's got this massive demeanor she's she's just looking so noble in the painting And she's got a strong impact on the audience from how she looks in this painting. Um, It's a very monumental depiction, and by just looking at the painting, you get the impression that Picasso actually got of uh, of Stein, of Gertrude. So Gertrude had never really thought of having her portrait painted, and they didn't really know how it came about, but Picasso just wanted to generate her the friendship that he felt for her within this painting and he was really able to do so with such a beautiful painting and work of art that showed her at her most impressive demeanor and really when you have a friend he or she is an inspirational subject he or she can give you innovation and Really, if you paint someone or even if you take their idea and create something new with it, it really shows that you care about this person and are grateful for their continued support on your craft and
3: whatever you do. So friends are there for support. Thanks, Bridget, for this fun and inspirational look at friendship. As always, all good things must come to an end, and this show gave us an in-depth look at the power of friendship. Thanks to StarStyle Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the star you are and our Voice America kids crew, especially our engineer, Mike. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world. And thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Kaisine
2: Kelly. And I'm Brigitte Gia, and you have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, go to www.btsya.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, be a friend, and be here.
0: Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. She's